everybody, welcome to our third study on Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian believers who were at Thessaloniki. And uh, this is an interesting study as we turn to chapter 2. In our last study, we noted how Paul concentrated on what it means to be a preacher and how he came to them as a preacher and how he preached to them under what circumstances, in what manner, with what zeal and enthusiasm, with what anointing. And he also tells them that he rejoices in the manner in which they received the word of God. They turned away from all other idols and put Jesus first in their lives. He says uh, that they had a wonderful sense of expectancy about the second coming of Christ. And thirdly, that they knew that on the cross, Jesus had delivered them from the wrath to come. They were truly saved. Now, in our third study, we have reflected the sort of interaction and relationship that exists between Christian ministers and the congregations they serve. Very interesting. Now the epistle turns a little and it gives us an insight into what true preachers should look like and what is their interaction with the people they serve, their local congregations. And uh, it's a very interesting study. So the wider context is that Paul was part of an apostolic band that was initially sent out from the church at Antioch. And we can read that and should in Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 to 3. So this is the wider context as to why he ended up in Thessaloniki. He didn't go out on his own or made some type of personal decision. No, he actually was sent out as part of an apostolic band from a group of church leaders who were gathered at Antioch. And we read this in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, that is Paul, of course, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. It was this initiative of the Holy Spirit in a local church in Antioch, where there were prophets and teachers, that was the source of Paul's ministry. He was sent out by a collective, a group of men who discerned the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so he became an apostle. You see, an apostle is a sent one. And sent ones emerge out of the fivefold gift ministries 
referred to by Paul actually in his epistle to the Ephesians church. And we read that in chapter 4. I'd like to read it to you. This is what it says, Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Bible says there are gifts that people have, but in some cases, the people are the gifts. And that is, they themselves are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And these, we are told, were gathered at Antioch. Paul was among them. And then the Holy Spirit separated him and Barnabas and called them to go out. So they became apostles, that is, sent ones. So they are, in fact, if we have to understand apostles, they are, in fact, teachers, evangelists, prophets and pastors who once being local in a congregation are called to leave and become translocal. They have a point of accountability then and set out to plant churches. There's a sense of authority, a sense of beginning, a sense of corporate approval. They go out and they plant churches. And uh, it is in this light that Paul and Silvanus and Timothy came to Thessaloniki. And uh, we should then note the following. Number one, ministry initiated by the Holy Spirit will not be in vain. Listen to what Paul says. For you yourselves know, brethren, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. That's an interesting statement. This is truly a challenge to those who would go into the world to serve Christ. Men and women who appoint themselves to ministry without the agreement of a properly constituted sending body are in danger of engaging in vain ministry. And many have. Paul didn't come in vain. He came not because he decided to come. The decision to go was not his at its origin. It came from a group of men who were leaders in a local church who heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he did not come in vain. Maybe God is calling you to the ministry. Make sure you go out properly. The ministry is not a game. No one just decides to start a church on their own. 
If so, it could be in vain. Secondly, ministry initiated by the Holy Spirit is not free from trouble and difficulty. Verse 2 of chapter 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you were, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Paul notes that they were bold in God to speak his gospel in much conflict. We need to just think about the word much. He didn't say in a little conflict. He actually said much conflict, which means a lot. So we must take note that to engage in the work of the ministry is no easy task. And it's definitely not a vocation for sissies. It appears from scripture, you know, that there was so much struggle and difficulty and conflict that John Mark turned back when he joined the apostolic band. He couldn't take it. There are many who enter the ministry and think, you know, it'll be trouble free and uh, difficulty free. No, it won't. And many have turned away because they forgot the words of Paul. That he came in affliction, he came in conflict. This calling does not exempt us from difficulty, from danger, from affliction or conflict. No, it's part of it. Are you willing to embrace it? Has God called you to the ministry? Again, I tell you, this is not for sissies. He said that. Thirdly, he tells us that ministry initiated by the Holy Spirit is rooted in a genuine desire to please Christ and serve his people. Verse 3 and four, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Ministry initiated by the Holy Spirit is rooted in a genuine desire to please Christ and serve his people. Preachers then are not in it for themselves. And he says God will constantly test their hearts in this regard. How would he do that? Well, it's in the context. God will test their hearts by letting them go through conflict, trial, and difficulty. Because the preacher holds an incredible custody. He's the custodian of the word of eternal life. And God will not allow him to be embroiled 
in insincerity or anything that's not genuine. They are not in it for themselves. He will scrutinize them by leading them through hardship. And this is what Paul says. You see, people who are in it for themselves will never, ever persevere in hardship. Never. They'll give up and get out. Because they didn't sign up for this. They signed up for themselves. And uh, he reflects the truth here. So this being so, Paul sets out what could be the pitfalls into which preachers can fall. And in fact, many do. And uh, he points out three major pitfalls into which the servant of God may fall. Number one, they refrained, Paul refrained, he stopped using flattering words in his preaching. Interesting. Verse five, for neither at any time did we use flattering words. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? That's why the word of God in its context is so wonderful to expound because it makes us think. They were not going to butter people up in order to gain some type of personal advantage. That's what flattering words are. To basically inflate people's egos. Why? Because you want them to like you, do something for you, and give you an advantage. He said, we never did that. They were called only to preach the hard truth of God's word, even if it offended people. We need to think about this today. I think in recent decades, there's been a lot of flattering preachers around. Using their platform. To actually get a personal advantage. And then secondly. He says you know as preachers. They refrain from using their platform. To gain personal financial gain. And he says that. For neither at any time did we use flattering words. Nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. What is covetousness? He wants something from them. And what could that be? You know, normally it's their money. It's their money. And uh, they refrained from using scripture to convince people that they should part with their money in order to receive the blessing of God. I have heard such preaching. I have heard preachers tell congregants that God has told them that if they give X amount of dollars in the next five minutes, God is going to bless them as they've never been blessed before. You see it on television. You see it everywhere. It is ungodly. 
but it's everywhere. It hides under the umbrella of being scriptural. But it's not. Of course, the believer should be faithful and generous. But preachers should not exploit their congregations financially. And many do. And then thirdly, they refrain from seeking personal prestige and recognition. And uh, verse 6, nor the third thing, that we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made the demands as apostles of Christ. Now, that's an interesting statement. They refrained from seeking personal prestige and recognition. And he said they could have because they knew that their ministry designation, the fact that God had anointed them with authority and power as apostles, could be sort of really overwhelming for people that they could use in order to get recognition. You see who I am. I'm the preacher. I'm the apostle. I'm the man of God. But he didn't do that. For him, his designation as an apostle was a commentary on being a servant and what he did, not on a title. He says we could have. The temptation was there. We could have. But you also hear that today. You hear people who, who, who constantly want to be called titles, even apostle. Paul didn't use it as a title. He says, I, Paul. It was a designation of what he did. Not of how grand he was. Paul, the apostle meaning the one who is sent, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Paul refrained from seeking personal prestige and recognition by virtue of his remarkable ministry in Christ. If God is calling you and me into ministry, think about it. This is a place of servanthood, of humility, a place of affliction and conflict. It's a place very often where you have to do without. Paul said that, that he knew how to go without financial help. He also knew how to have financial help. But above all, he was the servant of God. And he says to the believers at Thessaloniki, this is how I came to you. 
This is the relationship we have. A wonderful one. That's not surrounded or understood by flattering words. Or by some type of desire for financial gain. Or by some type of seeking of glory and personal recognition. I came to you, he said, because God sent me. Now, these are the very real dangers that beset many preachers today. Paul knew of them. And in his parting words to the elders at Ephesus, he warned of them. So they were on his mind. He knew that leaders could be corrupt, even preachers. So in Acts chapter 20, we, we read the following, which is a similar type of passage because it's the same man. It's in his heart. It's what comes out from time to time. But in Acts chapter 20, we read, From Melitus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me. So he says, you know this. It's the same heart that's speaking to the Thessalonian church. And then he says this, listen to it. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, he's certain, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Notice that? It's about them, their prestige, their glory, flattering words to do what? To draw people away. To what? To themselves. Who said this? Paul. And that's why in his letter to the Thessalonians, he sets his credentials in place. He talks about how they received the word of God. He talks about the preciousness of the word of God. He talks about a true preacher that calls others to follow him as he follows Christ. And then he speaks about his ministry to them and what type of an apostle and leader he was. May God help us to receive this challenge. May I hear it. May you hear it. May we serve him genuinely. For if we go out 
to do his will. He will always test our hearts. This is Malcolm Hattie.